Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I'm speaking with Kira Wetzel, Head of Data and Analytics Engineering, Architecture, and Governance for Reality Labs Operations at Meta. Kira is a true leader and has built an incredibly diverse team. In this episode, you'll learn how to optimize your analytics team, make a business case, and hire diverse individuals. In addition to Kira's work at Meta, she also is the founder of Girls Plus Data. She shares why it's important to expose girls to working with data at a young age and how Girls Plus Data continues to provide access to 700 plus girls. Kira, welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. It is such a pleasure to be chatting with you. I think it's been two, three years since we talked in person. So looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I think the last time we talked in person was at the Beyond Conference with ThoughtSpot in 2019. So that was pre-COVID for sure. Um, But I, I believe that's the last time. So yeah, it's been a few years. Well, I'm looking forward to catching up, learning more about your work and what you're doing these days and where Girls Plus Data has gone. So just to level set for people, um, you did not start off in analytics. You actually started off as a high school math teacher, but then transitioned. Can you talk a little bit about what motivated you to become a math teacher, but then how you pivoted out of that into now a really successful career leading analytics teams? Sure. So I actually did not intend to become a teacher. I just through a series of volunteer activities and my education realized I was really passionate about helping students and helping um, different populations of students uh, with learning and just overall life skills and mentoring. And so I fell into education and ended up doing a master's degree teaching and then became licensed and started, you know, as a teacher in the Milwaukee Alternative High Schools um, teaching math. And it was some of the most rewarding work that I'd done in my life. But through this, I also recognized that I um, am a very skilled introvert. And I think just being on all the time was very challenging to me. So I did some soul searching after teaching for a few years and realized that I was really passionate about technology, which is something that I have um, been exposed to my whole life since my dad was a computer scientist. And then realized that one of my natural strengths is having an analytical mind and went to the office for graduate studies at UW-Milwaukee, talked to them about some different options. And then I enrolled in a data management and what is now likely known as data science Um, but before it was data management and information technology. And I've been in analytics since. So when you were making that transition, did you ever feel like, oh, you know, I put, I have a master's in education. I have this experience. I'm going to throw this away to make, and now I have to go back and get more schooling, more education, maybe possibly start, you know, from the bottom again. Did any of those thoughts ever cross your mind or were you able to pull in your experience from teaching into your current work in analytics? Great question. I never looked at it as wasted or unusable. In fact, 
I think that one of the number one things that I learned in you know, my time in education was actually um, to develop a really strong sense of empathy for others, as well as to be able to create something out of nothing. When you're teaching in alternative high schools, you don't have a lot of resources. So you have to get really creative. An example of something is I didn't have a lot of money for myself for pencils or paper, other supplies. And so, of course, the students were bringing theirs. and I had to come up with creative ways to um, have them have the supplies that they needed, but at the same time, not purchase them every week out of my own pocket. And so um, you, know, you can imagine that it was an interesting, um, non-traditional way to approach it. But I basically said, I'll let you use a pencil every class if you give me your left shoe. And I bought a shoe rack and I kept it behind my desk. And so it was, it was definitely the case that I was getting that pencil back because otherwise they would have only one shoe for the rest of the day. So things like that, I really learned, um, you know, how to solve like problems like that. I learned how to solve in, in analytics. I, you know, realized that having been in analytics for the last 10 or so years, one of the number one things, um, that is a barrier for people in using data to run their business is education and enablement. So I definitely don't think of education being lost. I wish I would have known you like 10 years ago because I used to tutor high school math and I had that same probably always steal my pens and pencils. And if I want to have that technique of, you know, give it as essentially holding on to their love shoe that probably would have helped me out a lot. So I love just your creativity and innovation. Obviously you've had this from an early age and early on in your career. So today you lead really diverse analytics team. You have data engineering, architecture, governance, analytics. What led you to create such a diverse team? Usually I'm seeing teams that people are just focused in on one of those pillars. Maybe they just lead the data engineering or they just lead the data governance, but you have it all in one. Great question. So um, I actually started at Meta as an analytics engineering lead and I joined with two others that were also analytics engineers. Because we're in Reality Labs, we are building our operations data warehouse from scratch. And what we quickly realized was that we had a lot of work to do in all of those areas, and there were only three of us. When I started leading the team, I you know, thought through what are the things that we really need to run a manufacturing and supply chain operations business? And a lot of that came down to governance, strong foundation, and process. So I began to identify different areas where we had low-hanging fruit, high need for governance, and primary data, reference data, um, high need for standardized processing and then I also looked at how much time each of the people in my team at that time were spending doing each of those. And although we always wear multiple hats in analytics, we were spending too much time across all of those activities that we were actually not making meaningful progress. So I made a business case to split up my team into pillars and then created some opportunity for people who are ready to go on to architecture and engineering, and then created opportunity for people who wanted to focus more on analytics. 
And it's actually allowed us to move a little faster than it would if we were, than we would if we were all wearing five hats. And so what you're saying reminds me a lot of what I remember data science being in the early days. It, it was like, hey, you need to have this PhD and you need to have some data engineering skills and model building and communication skills and data visualization. And it spanned really broad, right? And now I've seen the job start to specialize a little bit more, which is essentially what you did, but at a scale level with not just one person, but a whole team. Um, Correct. Do you see, what are some of the benefits that you have seen with you know, identifying those pillars and having people focused on core pillars and having this breadth of skill within one team? Within our organization, one of the benefits is that we are able to move faster. It's the idea of batching. If you start, if you have five tasks and you do them in batches, you actually move more quickly because you're not switching cognitive focus so much. So I think the same applies within my team and the work that each of the um, people on my team need to do. I think another one of the benefits is that as we are starting this practice, um, you know, in a lot of organizations, they're very mature, they have a data warehouse, you're maybe adding some enhancements, but you're not building from scratch. So it makes sense to have things or it could make sense to have things be a little bit more siloed within my organization, because we're building from scratch, we need to be able to communicate and have really strong awareness of what the other teams are doing. And so to prevent this um, almost like myopic view, it makes sense to have those in the same team right now. So for leaders who are maybe feeling that this is going on in their team today, right? That their their team is focused on too many disparate tasks. Do you have any recommendations for them in terms of how to identify that properly? I mean, if they have an intuition that this may be the problem, you're a data person. I'm sure you ran some numbers and measured some things to identify this was happening. What recommendations do you have for leaders in this space? Good question. I the approach that I took was through stakeholder and partner interactions and then interactions with my team. I looked at what are the things that people are saying are the pain points and then what are the things that my team is spending the most time on. So one of the primary um, priorities for us right now is data quality and governance. And that was something that was really just a constant and ongoing pain point. And I think it is in every organization, but this was especially true for us. And so what I did was I looked at how much time are we spending on data govern, um, data quality and the different, like, you know, I mean, data, data quality and data governance are really broad categories, but like, what are we spending the most time on? Then we developed a proof of concept for data quality, and we were able to show what would happen if we had a dedicated data quality or dedicated data governance um, team member, and this is what they could actually focus on. You know, we were not able to develop a long-term focus, but we were able to give enough um, time to develop a really solid proof of concept and come back and say, you know, we... Um, took this one table and we applied this data quality and with a governance program, um, we'd be able to do more. But with our proof of concept, we were able to improve our 
unexpected outcomes by about 76% in the single tables. Like imagine what we could do with a person whose primary focus is on this. Um, so things like that I've found to be very su successful in terms of um, being able to define what is it that my team should be working on and what is the best model for the organization. And do you have any advice for individual contributors who maybe they're on the other side where they feel like they're focused on too many disparate tasks, right? And they would like to focus more on one pillar and one vertical. And unfortunately, their manager maybe is not realizing it. Do you have any advice for them on how to kind of manage up and lead up with making that case as well? How to manage up and lead up? Um, yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting question because it really depends on the organization and it depends on the leader. For me, I would say, or from my perspective, I think sharing, I would like the opportunity to develop a greater you know, set of experiences in X. And so if it's data engineering or data architecture, um, he, you know, it could be the case that even if your manager or your leader is focused on analytics, you could ask them to help you um, partner with a mentor or take on projects. And maybe that looks like networking throughout your organization with people who are in those roles, you know, being able to pitch a one quarter or two quarter project and say, this is what I would like to do. Um, I think that internal mobility especially really varies by company and by manager. But if you can develop those experiences, um, you can take those with you outside of an organization as well. So shifting gears just a little bit in terms of hiring, you hire again for lots of diverse analytic roles. And I'm mm -hmm. sure, you know, maybe a little just stalt psychology, like the sum of the parts is greater than the whole, like your team is only as strong as all of the members of each of the, each of the pillars and verticals that they work in. How, how are you approaching hiring analytics talent? I mean, right now it seems that there's a lot of people who want to get into the field, but finding experienced people and the right people is a challenge for hiring managers, let alone finding diverse individuals as well. So do you have any advice for hiring managers in terms of recruiting and hiring the right analytics talent? For hiring managers, this is really tough. As a hiring manager in the current talent market, it's really brutal. Um, I think the number one thing I don't, and I don't necessarily have advice, but um, on how to solve the problem, but I definitely have suggestions on how it can be worked through, is to be very intentional about building a diverse team. That's something that I'm really proud of is that my team is extremely diverse. There's a lot of different intersectionality. And I've done that by being very intentional um, about the people that I pipeline and how I partner with my recruiting team. And I've been very fortunate to work at Meta where my recruiting team has been committed to um, you know, diversity as well. I would also say that attending events and networking is going to help with pipelining. I can't, exp I, I don't think I can count the number of people that have come through my network as referrals and referrals are really the strongest. Um, I, I think that they're the strongest form of pipelining. 
because they're if they come from people that you trust, they're already doing that vetting out because they're putting their name on somebody. And if you're willing to put your name on somebody, that's a pretty big endorsement. Um, so, you know, attending conferences or joining groups, you know, women in data, definitely networking through the organization and just having people that are willing to put their name out there for you and connect you with people. For candidates, I think the number one suggestion I have is not to focus on the title. I have seen so many business analytics and so many data science and, um, you know, titles come through and people from these programs. And the reality is that work and those learnings are really valuable, but there isn't a standardized um, curriculum across educational institutions. And so what I look for as a hiring manager are what are the skills, the tools, and the outputs that you have. I don't care if your title is data scientist or data analyst. That doesn't matter to me. Um, it's what are the things that you're doing? And so being really explicit in your skills section on your resume, what did you do with SQL? Because knowing SQL and, and then also knowing SQL for different purposes, right? One is for querying, one is for transformation um, or ELT or ETL. Like those are really different skills. And so being able to explain clearly outside of your title what experience you have is probably the most important for applicants. I think that's great advice. It's easy to get caught up in the title, especially early on in your career, right? We're all bought into like, I really want this data science title. But you have to remember that, you know, more of your time is going to be spent doing those skills. As you said, focus on the skills you'll be learning than, you know, sharing your title on LinkedIn. So I, I love that advice of focus more on those skills. In addition to all your work at Meta and building and leading a diverse team, you also at the same time founded an incredible organization called Girls Plus Data. Can you share a little bit more about where this idea came from and what the mission of the organization is? Sure. So mentioned, I'm really passionate about education, but didn't want to spend my time teaching full time. Girls Plus Data was kind of an accident, to be honest with you, but it was um, such a positive influence, I think, for many, you know, 750 students, built a strong network of volunteers. But ultimately, um, where it came from was I was working at a consulting company, really small regional consulting company, and I was on the bench. And my marketing partner at the time, Keegan, he and I were talking about different ideas for um community involvement. And I said, I'd really like to do an after-school program in my community where I was a homeowner at that time um, and teach girls about, middle school girls about data. And the reason for this was, A, I was on the bench. B, I feel very strongly about education and community service. And also, I felt that there was a huge push at this time for computer science, um, Legos, robotics. And that's really important. And I think those activities are great. But what I wasn't seeing was data. And there is such a huge, um, data plays such a huge role in all of our lives, but especially younger people where I feel that they are really defining the future because they're generating so much data every day. So initially it started with just kind of introducing them to the concept of data using Tableau because it was free. And then after this workshop, I got so much positive feedback 
um, from really around the world that I quickly started a nonprofit, built up the organization with some volunteers, and we began teaching, building partnerships with companies like Looker, who has been acquired um, by Google, and then Google and ThoughtSpot, you know, Cisco. And we began teaching girls about data, not using coding, but using visualization and the types of questions that we ask data and then having them develop a solution, but not, again, not using um, like a code driven approach. And it just, it really took off. And a lot of the feedback we heard was that um, these young women were not passionate about coding, but they were passionate about technology. And we had students come back because they didn't realize that data existed and parents didn't realize data existed. And then we started talking about, you know, how does, how does Google know when Home Depot is really busy, right? Like, how do they know that and result of data? And the more we got the students thinking, the more we realized that we needed to focus on turning them into responsible digital citizens um, and data generators. And then we started offering things like data privacy and ethics and things for them to think about as they're signing up for apps or using apps, generating content. Um, so it was kind of a random happening, but developed into something that was really impactful. Yeah, I think sometimes those are the best because right, you, you test something out and then you say, hey, if there's this demand for it, which there was, right, then you saw, okay, there's a need obviously that's being filled and, you know, having taught now over 700 young girls, obviously you have fulfilled a big need and are continuing to fill a big need. So for those parents that may be listening, what advice do you have for them who maybe they work in a data career and they want to get their kids interested in it or more exposure to data? Do you have any tips for parents out there who would like to expose their kids to data or at least to be good consumers and creators of data at an early age? I think, yeah, it really depends on each parent and each student. What really helps contextualize things is, I, what I've found is really help contextualize things for students is, on, is when they realize that the data will persist for longer than they will think about it. And so if we think back about security breaches as adults, right, that data will exist forever. Our social security numbers are out there, our bank accounts and passwords from 15 years ago and the internet was not as secure. And being able to help the students understand that this, you know, even though the video it might be gone from your snap or you could delete the post, that actually does exist and how that all connects together. Um, I found that taking the, like still seeing technical if the students want it, but also um, the real life implications. And again, kind of just tying back to being a digital citizen and understanding what that means, it has been the most helpful in talking to the students and relating to them. And those tips sound like tips not only for kids, but also for adults, right? I think we all need a little bit more reminder and exposure of how we're being active di digital citizens and consumers. So I think that's a, a great table conversation for anyone to have. 
This has been fantastic. I really enjoy learning about your work with Girls Plus Data and excited to see where it goes next and appreciate your effort into getting young minds exposure to this exciting career. And, and we need to see uh, more women and girls in this space. So it helps to start at a, at a young age. So thank you for all your work and effort in this area. Thank you for having me. Well, we're not done yet, but if you're okay with it, we can transition into the rapid fire questions. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. What song do you currently have on repeat? Okay. Song. I would say, can, can I go with an album? And, yes. and actually, I have such a diverse um, taste in my music preferences, but I would say the albums I have on repeat are either going to be Nora Jones or Counting Crows. I like it. Just depends. You got a little diversity of mood that you're in then. <laughs> That's right. But my husband and I just went to see Pearl Jam two nights in Oakland. And then we also saw Coldplay. So again, it's very all over the place. But I would say if you were going to make bets, it'd be either Nora Jones or the Counting Crows. I like it. Favorite place you've traveled? Favorite place I've traveled. That's such a good one. In my whole life, I would say probably northern, like far north Wisconsin by the Upper Peninsula. And the reason for that is because I had so many great childhood memories from family vacations up there. But as an adult, my husband and I went to Tokyo. And while we did a lot of very touristy things, that was a really fascinating city. So um, as a child, I think it was you know the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, northern Wisconsin. As an adult, it was Tokyo. Happiness is? To me, happiness is feeling at peace with the things around you. And um, even if you don't have control, just finding the things around you that you do have control of and then enjoying those things. In the next five years, I hope to... In the next five years, I hope to become a master gardener. Uh, you can my put goal. me on that list as well. Yes. <laughs> okay. A little bit by little maybe bit. We should, we should sign up together at the extension school. Maybe that's something we can do and we can bring data to our master gardening. I love that. I'm sure we'll find a way to start tracking things of our gardening and then we'll follow up in five years to see how we're doing on our gardening skills. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, to me, curiosity is? Curiosity is a genuine interest in finding out more and asking questions. So often, I think that we accept things at face value. And one of the, one of the things I appreciate about analysts and um, one of my strengths as an analyst is really asking more questions um, and not the close-ended kind, the kind that let people open up. It's a beautiful way to end this. I am so happy I had the opportunity to ask you a few questions today. I hope that next time we talk, it is not as long as the last time. And um, this was just such an enlightening conversation. And I just am so inspired by your leadership in multiple areas. So analytics and girls plus data, um, you really are a compassionate leader. So thank you for taking the time to come on the show and share your insights with us. Thanks, Sadie.
All right, everyone, stay curious and keep learning, and we will talk to you next time. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.